to Next in Q, the podcast about people in and around the contact center and customer experience industries. I am your host, Rob Dwyer, and this is the first international episode of Next in Q because I am joined by my new friend from across the pond, Jimmy Hosang, who is the CEO of the Modular Analytics Company. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. And yeah, so pleased that I could be the first international uh, guest on your show. I've always thought of myself as an international man of mystery. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so. Are. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually uh, came to know of you and your company uh, when I was listening to Martin Teasdale's Get Out of Rap podcast. So just quick shout out to Martin. Martin is also one of the reasons that I decided, hey, I can I can start this. I talked to him, got some advice, and he was very generous with his time. And um, when I heard the episode with you, I remember I immediately it was like a Saturday and I hopped on my phone, got on LinkedIn, found you, connected with you, connected with Banksy and uh, have been having some conversations along the way. So it's really exciting to get to talk to you. And thanks for that. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I've done quite a lot of podcasts uh, now, and um, and I do I do sometimes like get people who are actually interested in the things that I say. And you were one of those rare unicorn people, um, <laughs> and it was and it was really nice as well because like yeah, it was it was on a Saturday, and it was like oh, this guy's listening to like my stupid voice on a Saturday when everybody else should be relaxing. So yeah, I knew you you were cut from a different cloth right then. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, but yes. I'm not sure either. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's talk about just kind of uh, how you got to where you are today, because one of the things that I always find most interesting with my guests is just kind of their story, their journey, and how they got to where they are today. And yours is is incredibly interesting. So, So let's talk about that. Yeah, well, it depends how far back you want to go. So I've been working in data science and analytics for around 12, 12, 13 years now. However, I um, if you go way, way back to when I was like a kid, um, I, I, would, I came from a performing arts background. So drama, dancing, script writing, stand-up comedy, things like that, um, all of that type of stuff. Um, I'm not saying that I was particularly good at it, but that's what uh, that's what I kind of threw myself into. I think when I was a child, I could be a little bit insular. And so mom, I had like a pushy mother and my mother got me to do all of these stuff to, to be a little bit more outgoing. So I think in my quiet time, I like, you know, you know, coding and making Lego, but externally I come across as a bit of an extrovert. And I think that, you know, I think that's probably from, uh, from my mother and my family kind of pushing it. So I started off doing performing arts um, and, you know, not sure what it's like in America, but you have to make decisions very, very early on, like in your in your life. So this is like 14 years old. What you're gonna do? And I'm 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 an inherently lazy person. Um, I think it's Anthony Bourdain. I, I, I say this quite all the time, but Anthony Bourdain said that I'm an inherently lazy person, and my whole life is a series of stratagems designed to like conquer that lazy person and try and outwit him. That's kind of what kind of what I do, and I'll come to that in a little bit later on. So I'm an inherently lazy person. I went to the easy stuff, which was performing arts, and then did that for did that that for eight eight years, um, and then realised that. I wasn't particularly great at performing arts and I needed to do something, do something completely <laughs> different. Um, and at the time I'd been, um, I'd been working at bars and restaurants and I would been trying to get gigs and stuff like that and not be particularly, um, not be particularly successful. 
and um, I kind of went through a bit of a very, very early midlife crisis, which was, geez, like, what does it all mean? Like, I've, I've just spent eight years of my life doing, doing this stuff um, <laughs> that I'm actually rubbish at. Like, one of my, one of my teachers, um, one of my tutors at, at, at university um, said that what I was really, really great at as a performing artist was walking on stage and falling over. <laughs> which I'm, like to be honest I was fantastic at both of those things but I don't think it's the I don't think I'm going to make a career out of it like n- ever since the talkies came out like, you can't really make it you can't really uh, make a living from that type of thing so so I had a bit of a, a bit of an existential crisis like what does it all mean and um and then I taught myself I taught myself um how to code my 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 um my daughter was then kind of coming up through my mid-20s my my daughter was on her way and I was like how do I how do I really support my family and I was playing I used to do I used to play poker online and I was pretty good at playing poker but anybody who plays poker at a decent level knows that you're playing like eight nine ten hours a day and you're kind of grinding through it and I wasn't even like guys who I, I, I used to used to be friends with they used to be really good and they used to really devote it and I couldn't be bothered with that because again I'm really really lazy so I thought what can I do and needed to support my support my my, my family and so I taught myself how to code um, I taught myself how to code. I'd always been good at maths and stats at school. Um, and I think I've got a bit of a mind for analysis. Um, and then taught myself taught myself how to code. And then, then the, we, it was the hard part, because the hardest part was then getting somebody to give me a job. Like, it was just yeah. ridiculous. So I, got my, I initially got myself a job as an, an operational analyst for Vodafone. And I was doing ops analysis and things like that for them. But then it was like, it wasn't a proper analytics job. Like it was sort of Excel and service management and project management and stuff like that. Taught myself how to code. And then it, it was like, I need to find somebody to that'll give me an opportunity to do this properly. And after about 50 interviews and assessment centers and things like that, finally, like I got my first my first role working in credit risk and I got my, my first job as a proper analyst working in credit risk during the financial crisis <laughs> so, <laughs> so so great timing yeah, it was it was awesome time. well it was funny as well it probably was really good timing because I'm I'm super I'm a super impatient person that like loves changing things and if I'd have gone in normal times like nothing would have needed to change like you wouldn't have needed to change your risk models you wouldn't need to change your risk profile or anything whereas actually what happened I was working in catalog retail at the time and that is kind of I'm not going to call it subprime lending but it's very kind of um, high risk lending and those are the guys who go bad very very quickly and so we had to change our techniques and we had to change who we were targeted and things like that. You still have to, you still have to lend, you still have to lend money, but like, you know, the cohort of customers that were the most profitable, no longer the most profitable. So my learning curve just went like that, like everything that I had to learn just, just shut up. Um, and then from there, yeah, I, just a just a bit of itchy feet all the time so I worked in credit risk I worked in marketing I worked in pricing I worked in customer behavior modeling and then I accidentally um got a job working in um working in capacity planning for a contact center um probably about seven years ago and that's when like my love of contact centers like came in because I felt like every other analytical discipline was um was very constrained so marketing you know you you selected you built a a propensity model and you selected your top two deciles your best people and then you sent them you sent them dms or pricing you know you were you you could um take a remove a segment or add a segment or build an elasticity like algorithm but it was very constrained stick to your road credit risk exactly the same whereas contact centers it just 
blew my mind. There was marketing. There was market. So if if marketing um, do a campaign and don't tell you about it, like abandonment rates go up. If ch- pricing changes, everybody complains. Like if you've got absent sickness holidays, like how that impacts things. You've got your capacity plans, your resource plans. Um, you've got um, upselling and cross-selling in the contact center. You got voice and voice versus web chat, which was which was just coming up at the time. And I made a little bit of a bad reputation for myself about slagging off web chat <laughs> because because at the time, like <laughs> web chat's going to save us loads of money, and it never really saved anybody any money. So I did a lot of stuff like that, and that and and that's how I like fell in love with contact centers was just being thrown into it. And I've been working in contact centers ever since. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, there's so many different variables in the contact center world that just make everything incredibly dynamic day to day and even hour to hour, I think sometimes. <laughs> and and it's the and it's, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's all of the different data points and then it's all of the different all of the different um uh behaviors from the different people who are in there. So like you've got, you know, you've got your ops managers and what you what behaviorally like what what your ops managers want to get out of a day is different to what your real time guys want to get out of a day. It's different to what your actual agents want to get out of a day, which is yeah. just get through it without getting hit by a stick. And it's all these different competing kind of um, behaviors um, and wants and needs and stuff I find fascinating as well. So there's a huge data analytic geeky element to it, but there's also a psychology kind of um, psychological, like behavioral science element that I just, I absolutely love. Nice. So I know you mentioned that you were really good at math or felt um, a a calling there, but what led you to decide to go into coding? Because I mean, from from acting and bars and restaurants to coding, like that seems like a quantum Mm. leap. Um, Money. (laughs) So I'd I'd love to say like it was something different but i think it was in my hierarchy of needs at the time like i i needed to support I needed to support my my family and i needed yeah. money and and at the time we're talking kind of the the mid mid noughties um i had to have a look at like what what feasibly where, from where i was what i could actually do and I'll, I'll i'll be perfectly honest so i taught myself how to code um some um some uh um r r was just around at the time just around, just coming through and sql so that's kind of what i specialized in to begin with um, and SQLs always like one of the fundamentals, and then that got me my, my, the the operational analyst job because then I could query access databases and I could do some stuff, some different stuff in Excel. I think then, um, I, I'll be on like this is going to sound like really, really, um, really basic and um, really kind of um, what should, what would I call it, uh, greedy. I looked at what was the top programming language which drove the most amount of money, sure. and then I and then I got myself a job like learning that. So at the time, um, sort of in the the yeah the mid mid noughties, the the programming language that drove the most amount of money. In, in fact, it probably doesn't now, but up to a few years ago, it was still the the one which was SAS. So statistical analytical software used a lot in credit risk, used a lot in pricing. Um, that was the that was the top programming language, and so I was like, I've known the, the fundamentals of SQL now, and I know a little bit of R, but where like who where can I get a SAS job from? And you know, I, I coded SAS for you know six six or seven years, um, and it did it did me well. But yeah, the fundamental what made you code was. Um, do I have enough time to learn it? And everybody, and another thing is, well, I'm just going to say this. So I was one of those kids where I'd get a toy and then like lose interest in it real like straight away. And then and my, um, my family used to be like, well, I'm not buying you this because you're just going to get bored of it. And then when I was 16, I asked for a guitar and not, like my mum, and my mum was like, I'm not getting you that because you'll just lose interest. So I said, honestly, I'm not going to lose interest. So I got my first guitar and I stuck with it. And I stuck with it to a point where I'm a 
pretty rubbish guitar player, but I could get it out at parties and play Wonderwall, which is really what, <laughs> what you want. But I, stuck, but I stuck with it. And so when I had this bit of crisis of confidence and, and like, what does it all mean? I kind of went, right, I, I understand that it's a, the game. Maybe this is where I was fortunate. I understood that the game was about time and it was about um, diligence. So if I don't give myself, if I give myself enough time and I stick to the task over and over, which is what I did with the guitar, I knew that I'd get, I'd, I'd, um, I'd get through. I'd get to a competency level over time. So I was like, right, as long as I take out all of the extraneous stuff from my life and just focus singularly for once on just one thing, like where could it get me to? That's kind of what I did. And and so I, I went, right, I'm just going to, even though I'm going to be really, really poor at it, I'm just going to focus on coding. Then when, then when I got my first jobs, it was like, right, I'm just, um. I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work late. I'll work late and I'll start early. I used to start at like you know five o'clock in the morning and I used to finish it like six o'clock at night because it gave me like extra hours to just code and be rubbish. Um, and and then I'd take my I'd take my laptop home and I'd code at home and stuff. And it just just like what I'd really did sounds a bit sad. And the guys who I work with right now will will attest to this. But I kind of made my I kind of made my job my hobby, and it, and all my friends like hate me because all I talk about is charts and and graphs and analytics, um, which which, which is which is terrible as well because all they talk about is like building or joinery and all this type of stuff on the house they're, they're working <laughs> on and stuff. So it's all the same, but yeah, they, they, they go mad. And then I've made my job my hobby to the point where I like I love it. Like I, I, I genuinely love like coming to work. I love I, I love analytics. I love it like I love process improvement. I love improving people. I love contact centers and stuff. Um, but I think I've trained myself to do that. That's that's fantastic. And uh, speaking of family and supporting family, I think you, you got a special day in the family today. Is that right? I do have a special day. Yeah. So it's my uh, it's my daughter's uh, first first birthday. So I've got um, I've got uh, I, I've got like a load of people messaging me at the moment going, is it really 12 months since she was since she was born? Because it's just it's just absolutely flown by. I have been reminding each of them that that does mean that it's an extra 12 months that we've been on this earth as well. And some of us are aging better than <laughs> others. So over the last 12 months, I think I've kind of gone off a cliff. I'm like a I'm like a banana. Like I was I was right 12 months ago, but now I'm just like brown and mole <laughs> just and getting worse throughout the day um but yeah so um so yeah and she's I, I think i posted the picture on linkedin but no she's just an absolute delight like she's such like a happy little baby um and yeah she's got like pure joy and um she's super annoying like me as well so she's she talked all the time <laughs> and most of the stuff that she talks is nonsense so i could definitely tell she's my child <laughs> yeah well maybe she's got an acting career coming for her maybe, maybe or, 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 or pretended pretending to know about analytics <laughs> so uh so you're going through this which i find a little bit fascinating because you talk about being lazy and then you talk about this dedication that you put forth to a guitar and to coding and those are not really lazy pursuits and I'm, I'm wondering if it's just you're lazy with stuff you don't like um, but highly dedicated with the things that, that, that you really do like yeah it's an, it's an interesting one it's you've got to have you've got to find somewhere within yourself some inner motivation don't you to do something um and that's where you've got to give yourself a bit of a north star something that's like impossible and then drive and then and then drive towards it um so so looking back like I, i'm always conscious of kind of backward reasoning and trying to explain things like after the fact because you know most of the time i just think that that's crap but um the the interesting um there's an interesting um there's some interesting ideas that i've i've been reading about um so have you read grit by angela duckworth 
I haven't, but I've seen the the TED talk. I think that she gave. Yeah. So it's actually I didn't know anything about this, but some of the principles that she talks about is um, is actually is actually stuff that I've I, I could see myself. So you actually <clears throat> these um, these this deliberate practice. So the idea that you you've got a set amount of time and you're just deliberately trying to learn and you're trying to push yourself is something that I can definitely take from um I definitely take from grit and the sort of the singular focus giving yourself um that you give yourself something that's ambitious um so give yourself an ambitious kind of north star and then just diligently like work towards it i think that's kind of you know what i was saying you you do and then and then what's really funny is um and i think this she says this in the book but um there's um there's there's another book called flow so flow is by and i'm going to absolutely butcher the the author's name but it's um it's um um Mikai Chinsentmihai okay and it talks about a flow state so when you already understand like you know you when you already understand everything that you know about something that you almost do it um without thinking it's like driving most people drive and they don't know how they've got there because you're in a you're in a flow like state it's funny actually like because now um you you have to concentrate so hard at a singular thing like coding and 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 like dedicating your life to that type of stuff or dedicating your life to the knowledge of like you know contact center analytics and and you know um and how complex that is so you know forecasting um absenteeless holiday shrinkage um handling times demand like channel um, all of the new things that are coming in, like, you know, asynchronous messaging, uh, all the things like upsell, cross-sell, how that maps to different sectors like banking versus insurance versus retail. Um, but now um, I was speaking to um, very senior behavior, behavioral scientist and he kind of said, and I'm, I'm a very confident man, but I, I'm not prone to like blowing my own trumpet but the very senior behavioral scientist a guy called jez groom who we do work with who works for cowrie he kind of goes but now jimmy like i watch it and it's like a flow state where i don't really think about the stuff that i'm saying i actually just be i'm just able to join the dots of different things like straight away and understand the solution as we're on the fly now and that's just because of like the dedication of like grinding through it and getting it wrong loads of times and occasionally getting it right and going oh i've got it right right i'll i'll bank that and testing things out i'm now in this i'm now kind of what i say to all of the guys is you'll just try and try and try and try and try and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail and then all of a sudden you'll wake up after 10 years and you'll know what you're on about <laughs> yeah yeah at least at least a little bit anyway <laughs> yeah it reminds me of uh the the malcolm gladwell book uh about becoming an expert a little bit too yeah so so it's it's that thing around the ten thousand. I, I think that's where i am um, i think at the start of this it was i i saw the uh, malcolm gladwell and it was the the ten thousand hours and it was like but but that's over facing it's over facing when you go ten thousand hours it's like how could i possibly do ten thousand hours but you've got to break it down into chunks and you've got to go two hours a day you know two hours two hours a day every day for you know 10 years or whatever you've got to you've got to break it down into to manageable manage manageable chunks for yourself that was the types of thing yeah yeah so so okay so you're becoming um really good at at analytics and you're you're learning and then you decide uh well i'm just gonna start my own company like how, how did that how did that come about so it's, a, it's an interesting one so <laughs> i am um, so i'd again i'd had i'd had some ideas before and I'd had companies before, and they'd never really gone particularly well. I'm, um, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not a very good communicator. I know that sounds like a bit strange because some people will go, "I'm, a, you're a really good communicator. I'm a good, I think I'm a good performer, but I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm not great at articulating and sorting out all of my thoughts and then getting everybody to go, look, regimentally, look, this is what we're doing and stuff. Something that I've had to work on over time. And so think, so I think I've always been a little bit like, um, I don't know, I don't know what the, 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 ter- the psychological term for it is, but I've been very independent, like, so I just do me, like, and I don't want to, I don't want to deal with anybody else. Like I'll just be the master of my own destiny. Um, but then I was working, um, I started working at a company web help and I started working with a, a guy called Sean Northam, um, who's quite a bit younger than me, but he used to be able to take all the stuff that I was saying and articulate it in a way which made it very, very real for clients. Um, and he took all of the good bits and made it real. And then all the extraneous like crap that I used to say, he used to like just leave off and just and just do it. And we developed a, we developed a really great relationship. Um, so when he left, um, when he left WebHelp to, to start off as a consultant, he kind of said, look, like we should do something. We should start our own business. We should start our own business. So that was what was happening um probably around two, the middle of 2017 then at the same time as that was happening and i was getting absolutely badgered by sean northam um another a friend of mine um he kind of who'd, who'd been my boss and who'd been my uh we'd, we'd been peers and we'd done other things together he'd always been a re- really big advocate of mine we were like having a drink one day and he said um jimmy like one thing I've never really understood is how you can deliver analytical work five, ten times quicker than anybody else. And he goes, like, I've I've worked with like loads of analysts, consultancies, like from big consultancies like you know, Deloitte, PWC, and smaller consultancies and independents, and I've got had my own analytics teams and MI teams and stuff. But he's like, How come you're just miles quicker? I tell you to do something, you figure it out and then you deliver it quicker. So I said, um, I said that I don't think I well, so I don't think I'm special. I just think that I've I know that everything's been done before. And I've got this way in which that I look at things, which is modular. It's like IKEA, like everything's flat packed. I'm a very, very poor programmer. Right, I'm, this is a this is a confession. I'm a poor programmer. Like, if anybody looks at my code, they'll have a panic attack. It's like it's like someone's played jazz all over it. It's like really, really poor. And, and apologies if you like jazz, but that's not good if you're that's not good if you're a programmer. I'm I'm not the best. I'm not the best mathematician and, and statistician. You know, I'm pretty. I'm like you know, I'm, I'm you know, sixty seventieth percentile. I'm not like an absolute maths ways, right? But what I think I'm good at is seeing a solution and putting it together quicker than everybody else and so once you've got a flat pack of furniture like all you then go in is right well what what how does this need to be configured for this particular person um in order to get them to what they particular what they specifically want or at the beginning go uh, you're asking for this but actually you want you want something completely different this is what you want isn't it yes it is <laughs> So, so my friend was like, well, this is really, really interesting. You should write a book. Um, and I came up with the idea of writing a book called the modular analytics cookbook. And I started, I started um, writing the chapters and things like that and, you know, getting into it and bouncing ideas off. And then three months later, I decided that I'm an absolute terrible writer. And I've got no, I've got no interest in writing a book or anything like that. It just completely bored me. At the same time, Sean was like, Sean was like, let's do something, let's do something. And I said to Sean, actually, I've I've got a real a real idea now. Like I've got this idea, the modular analytics company, um, and we're going to do flat pack analytics that um, that's regular, repeatable, that drives value. Um, and we do it at like a really, really reasonable cost base. That's how that's how uh, TMAC or the Module Analytics Company uh, came to be in. That's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like that that suggestion to write the book. Well, uh, the book didn't come to fruition. <laughs> it's <laughs> to be a really good suggestion. It got you there. 
Well, it, it, it helped me organise my thoughts probably a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that I'm historically terrible at is organising my thoughts. <laughs> so so <laughs> it definitely got me to, to think about things, about all the different things that I do. Um, and and it's funny it's funny because in that in that um, in that kind of cookbook there was there was all sorts of different kind of pro- projects and um, and programs and and um, um, implementations of the different stuff that we're doing. So there was there was things about um, real time analytics, uh, real time scheduling. There was things about capacity planning, workforce management, kind of stuff. Um, and what we did was over the kind of time was we just tested them out in the market. And I think all of them were, were pretty good. But what we did was we we finally came to like the three core elements, which have massive amounts of value. And those are um, those are next best action for customer. So what should you be saying to your customer and how should you be saying it to them? Like, on 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 a on a call to maximize the the value for them and for, for for them and for you out of the interaction secondly is the exact same thing but for coaching so almost like customer lifetime value product and employee lifetime value products like how can you get the best out of your your employees and then underpinning that is right so you can tell people what to say and how to say it and then you can tell people what the what they're not doing but there's a there's a missing link and that's speech analytics you, how can you properly like monitor what people are doing if you don't if you're not monitoring the the, the speech and the speech patterns on each side of the call and so building out the speech analytics capability that was fundamental in underpinning the value proposition which was you know making every co- every conversation valuable so I'm going to come back to that piece in a moment, but I am curious, having made this transition and now you're running this company, like what was the toughest lesson that you uh, had to learn to really drive success with, within your own company? Mm. So like, I think first of all, I take it. I take umbrage with the question because I don't think we're, a, <laughs> and that's. I don't think we're a success. Like we've, we're we're not a success yet. Like I think too many people talk too soon about the successes that they've had, and it all blows up in their big stupid faces. So I like we've. I think you know we've we're we've grown massively over the course of the last year. We you know. I think about 18 months ago, we had one employee, which was me, because Sean was still doing a bit of contracting, and other people were doing a bit of contracting. Now we're going to be about 35 people, um, and so grown massively. But, like, that's not success. Like, success is at growth or the revenue. Like, all could all, that could all go. I think, um, I think the most important thing is like longevity and like build and and creating something that matters and that's still tbc isn't it he's still we've still got to prove that that all of this works and and it's actually got some some staying power so i think i think that's the um so i think that that's one thing just to just to redefine the question but what what have i found hardest um so i think there's a few things so i I would say finding the right people all of the time is difficult when you do when you're in a startup. So these um, these people who um, these people who 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 come and who go. I've been fortunate. I think the first the first four people who who started the company um, and who were involved uh, are still are still with us today, which is um, which is me, Sean, George, and Rose. Um, and we were like super, super tight. But there was other people who came and people who went and stuff like that. And I think it's it's very difficult because I think all of them had fantastic qualities, but for whatever reason, like 
some things didn't happen and you know it didn't quite click for them or it was something internal or you know we were running running before we could walk and we we did we made those those decisions and that was that was really really difficult like really difficult um really difficult and it's difficult to it's difficult to let people go but it's definitely it's more difficult when i can see the qualities of the people and you know some of these people would stand in front of a bus for me and like stand in front of a bullet but things just weren't just weren't working so i think that was i think that's tough and i think look if i'm being if i'm being really honest like i'm i didn't get into this to be the ceo if you spoke if you speak to sean he might give you like a different take because he, he he thinks that i like being a bit of the celebrity the linkedin celebrity and stuff which you know i, I kind of do but i kind of like it has to be my job as well um but i don't think anybody equipped you for all of the things that you have to do and like the the things that you have to do and the things you've got to be and I liken myself to an air, uh, um, an air steward or you know an air, an air stewardess. Like when when you're on a plane and it's super turbulent, everybody looks at the air stewardess and they look at them to go give make me calm and make me think that everything's going to be okay. And that's kind of what it's like as the as being the CEO of a startup. Like you know everybody's looking at you all of the time to give them confidence that this is this is going to work and. I'm not going to lie. Like my head never, my head rarely drops, rarely drops. Like I'm a pretty optimistic person. There's been times over the last, you know, 18 months with COVID in particular, like when it's been, it's been pretty rubbish. And I, I remember one time the, the person who's like kind of been the most important person in my life over that, over that time, which isn't my CFO, <laughs> but is, um, is my wife, Lauren. There was a time kind of sort of February time when I was just really, really down. And she, this is going to sound super cheesy as well, but I was down and I was like, don't know what's happening. Don't, don't know what's happening with the company. You know, we need to raise this money. Um, you know, is the, is the revenue going to like, you know, stabilize after COVID? Um, you know, we're taking on a load more people, like, you know, they're all leaving jobs. Like, how do we support this? You know, it's getting quite big on, on us quite quickly. Um, there was some things going on in my personal life and we, we, want, we wanted to buy a house. I've never owned a house before. So like I owned a house. There was a lot of, a lot of things happening. I've got a, at the time, a three month old daughter, um, as well. And, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I was feeling pretty, pretty down and, um, I've always remember my wife. I was on the sofa, probably had my belly out, probably had some like chicken wings or something on my on my bed, <laughs> feeling like utterly sorry for myself. And uh, she she said, um, she said, "Excuse me." I was like, "What?" And she was like, "You're you're supposed to be Jimmy Effing Hosang." I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She's like. You're supposed to be Jimmy Effing Hosang. She's like, go and do your thing. Like, stop like moping and stuff. This isn't this isn't the person that I married. Like, I don't care. Like, if you're hiring X amount of people, I don't care if you don't know where the, the revenue's coming from. I don't care about COVID. Like, you're Jimmy. Like, you should be able to make something happen. Just just go and make something happen. And so that kind of gave me the kick up the ass that I needed. That I needed to I needed to at least even if I don't feel the part, I needed to play the part. Um. And that's given me like, a, I think since then, like things have really, really clicked into gear. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's you know, find, just to summarise, like you know, like finding the right people and then keeping the right people, and you know, knowing that you're going through stages and sometimes all of the people won't be with you all all along the journey. That's that's been really, really tough. And then being, no matter what you say, it's kind of lonely. It's kind of lonely, like running your own business, but like kind of owning that a little bit and going you know be the be the person everybody expects you to be i think going on that journey was was really important too it's funny i just uh i i posted something on linkedin yesterday actually about about true fans uh because my uh my university football team the the kansas jayhawks are epically horrible at football <laughs> they are so bad and it's been more than a decade they they, they just they're awful and i um 
I, I posted about the people that still support them, right? Even though they lose almost every single weekend, people go and they 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 drive to the stadium and they watch the game and they sit through three hours of just going, oh man, this is this is bad, right? But they they see the potential and they're they're the people that are are willing to to sit through the bad times and and yeah. and know and want something more. And it sounds like uh, your wife absolutely was that fan who just said, look, I don't care. Yeah. You're going to turn it around. So just go do it. She's, she's my biggest fan. And there is as well, like everybody who was working with us at the time, like, I don't know whether this is, so this isn't a good thing or a bad thing, but um, we, um, we got, we got to kind of uh, July time this year. And, I spoke to uh, I spoke to Nicola Callan, who's who's our uh, who's our HR uh, representative, and uh, I was talking to her about it. Sometimes, like I have a little bit of a moan to her, and she said, "You you know that like over the course of the last twelve months, no one's taken a sick day." I was like, "What?" She's like, "Not one person has taken a sick day. Everybody's like working, like absolutely, like." And that and that gives me it's, it, it makes me feel bad in a way because I'm like, I know the guys are like running a, a like running in the red and stuff, but, and you know I don't want to I don't want to uh, what's the word I don't want to um, um, push them like push them to breaking point. But then at the same time, like everybody's working in the everybody's working in the the right direction, and and everybody's pulling forward. And and I, I'm incredibly lucky in that respect. Like it's it's you can say oh you make your own look and stuff. P possibly you've got to roll the dice a few times. But like I'm I'm really lucky that I've got the the team around me who just run through brick walls for me. Super lucky. This, uh, just on the true fans thing, actually. I know again like this might be to do with my I think resilience is really important and I'm having I'm having my house I've just bought my first house and I'm having um I'm having some work done to it and all of the guys who are working on there are, are old friends of mine um you know one of the one of the guys Craig um he's um he's been my friend for probably 30 31 years in fact people call me Jimmy because his his dad called me jimmy that's where that's why that's how long i've known him i was always james before he called me jimmy and jimbo um so that's how long and he's working on he's working on my house and we've talked about the true fans and i don't know whether or not this is like actually actually important it, it's only just made me think and the connection between them is so we set up a football team when we were eight years old and um it was Craig's dad, Eric, who christened me Jimbo, um, who set it up. And uh, me and Craig used to play for them and, and quite a lot of our friends and some, even some of the guys who were working on the house on, with me now um, uh, uh, played for that team. And for being eight years old until we were 15, we never won a match. We lost every single match. And we used to turn up every single day. And I wasn't even that good. So sometimes like I'd be like a reserve and I'd be in the rain, just watching us get absolutely like pelted, like eight, eight nil, nine nil and stuff like that. Every single and then um and then one season, like it just happened and we started to be relatively good. And then we started to, you know, we won a trophy one year and it all started to cascade from there. But we had seven years of like spirit crushing losses. I remember, <laughs> and I don't know whether or not that was like really good for me, <laughs> like good for all of us, because all of us have done relatively well for ourselves, like got our our own businesses and 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 living really, really good lives. And I just wonder whether or not that that uh that humbling effect of getting like <laughs> absolutely smashed into the ground every week has uh has had a transformational effect on our adult life <laughs> yeah well certainly when you you know see that it, hey we're still progressing and and we can be successful it's just going to take more work I, I think that's uh probably a great lesson that you didn't enjoy learning at that age <laughs> it was absolutely horrible like, it was horrible watching like craig's dad eric going through it like i started a football team and look at look at how terrible <laughs> they are yeah but, yeah Bad bears. <laughs> yeah exactly so, one of the things that i 
uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because it's one of the things that really drew me to you that I was just like, oh, I love this guy. When I was listening to you talk with Martin was I, I hear in the industry, digital, digital channels, deflection, uh, all of these ways to um, essentially w- reduce cost, right? So we don't have to actually talk to anyone. Mm. Uh, but I'm a I'm a firm believer that that the voice channel is is still kind of the king, and I, I I know that you feel that way. But can you talk about that a little bit? Can I can I swear on this podcast? Do you beep it out later? Sure. I'll, I'll mark this one as adult. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying my best not to swear. Yeah, it's it, it's bullshit. It's like um, it's um, it's a, it's a a, what's what's the right terminology? It's a it's like a swathe of kind of bullshit that's kind of taken over, like over you know over years, years and years. And and I've always been like really really skeptical of it. So, what what happened was like. I'm an I'm an analyst. I'm a coder. I'm a programmer. Like I should like digital. I do like digital. Like I've done, you know, I've done digital marketing and things like that before. But what what's happened is it's become like a, um, it's it's become something else. It's become like people only think in a digital way like these people who only think in a digital way just kind of over here, and they just forget that there's like human to human interaction going on. I'm like. Really, really great case in point. Like um, I commented on a a post on LinkedIn and it was about digital marketing and they were talking about like um, digital interstitial marketing, you know, banners and things like that and email comms um, for new business and things coming in. And they were talking about like how they make the most of that. And I kind of commented, you do realize that like some of these brands that people are working with are getting five six seven million calls a year (laughs) like maybe even more calls a year like i was like that's not digital like why are you not doing your recommendation engine for your your upsell and cross sell to those people i was like cost to serve zero because they're calling you you're not having to go out to get them they're coming to you because they need your help and then you can help them and then you can upsell to them but it's like it, there's, it's, there's a huge blind spot. It's like people don't really understand. People don't really understand what you're talking about. And so, so, um, so my my um, so so where I be- came from was I started to to be a skeptic when web chat came in. So <clears throat> there was a big push towards web chat, and um, I. I started to see it being deployed in multiple different areas, in multiple different businesses. And I started to do the analysis because the benefits cases had started, like they'd, you know, I'm not going to mention the names of the providers, but the providers had come in. They said that they were going to remove X amount of contact. They said that they were going to reduce cost by, you know, why. Um, and I was in a fortunate position to be like a, a relatively preeminent operational analytics guy at the time so loads of people wanted me to do analytics on you know what benefits have we saved with 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 web chat and i quickly discovered they'd saved zero they'd saved zero and, and, and very very quickly because what the, it's simple maths simple maths so let's let's just let's just make it easy for ourselves say a call comes in and it's 500 seconds okay call comes in it's 500 seconds okay right let's look at the same on a web chat so the same on a web chat i'm looking 1200 seconds so so i'm like well of course it's 1200 seconds because you type in it takes it takes you longer to type than it does to talk and 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 then you're not only doing that but as a customer i'm typing and then i'm watching tv or i'm having a conversation over here like i'm not engaged in the conversation i'm just doing all sorts of other things and then as an advisor i'm then doing multiple chat sessions at the time so at the time it was you need to do so so at the time you need to do 2.4 concurrent chats okay 
is who's got two point four concussions. Okay, so if you've got 12, 1,200 uh, seconds, but you're doing two point four concurrent charts, then roughly speaking, you're netting out. So you you now got to the same stage where you were before, <laughs> where it was five hundred seconds of contact. Okay, it, this is the one that does everybody though, right? But during the day, you've got peaks and troughs of demand coming into to your digital channel, to your website. Okay, so how do you maintain 2.4 concurrent charts across the day? You have to understaff to your demand. Nobody yeah. used to get it. They used to be like, I know we'll put more and more people in. Well, your concurrency drops off. You've got to, you, if you go peak and, peak and drop, peak and drop, you've got to massively understaff to it in order to, to get to 2.4 concurrent charts. So you can never get at all of the deflection in the first place because you can't, otherwise you can't get the concurrency. I used to, and then I, when I draw this out, that's when I got the, that's when I got that look, which is Jimmy. We've already invested fifty million pounds in this, so this, you can't, this is right. And it's like, right. Well, just give me the number that you want me to say, and I'll just try and work back from it as well. So that was that was where I started to turn off, like for web chat. I just started to see it as, and then the technological challenges, like you know, they couldn't, the amount of places that did it, and then said, oh yeah, but. We can't do more than two chats per, per session. Right, well, you're knackered. <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're knackered anyway. <laughs> that doesn't right? work. So, yeah, does, so that doesn't work. <laughs> it's so great. So so now you've already established something that's that's worth the voice. And, and what what I've and I've seen like this thing going going through, and, and now I see it with chatbots as well. So now like chatbots on a uh, terrible terrible chatbots like really really poorly designed chatbots and stuff being being um being put into uh, to deflect <clears throat> and um never 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 works or, or rarely works like most of the time um and so you've got this huge digital marketing aspect where they're not they're not taking advantage of the the natural opportunities over here. You had web chat and um, around demand deflection, and then you've got this automation element around around um, sorry chats and then chatbots. And so I just I, I started to think I started to look on it, look back on the last ten years, and while all this is happening, all of the effort and all of the investment that's gone into all of this stuff. Why couldn't have you made the humans better? <laughs> like, so why couldn't you have like given you so given your humans like better better screens and like giving them a bit of a chance of giving them better options to upsell and cross sell? Why couldn't you have given them better performance management? Like, why couldn't you've gone like this is what you should be working on? You should be, you know. Like Rob, you should be working on your complaints calls because your HT is a little bit too high and your customer sentiment's too low, rather than just bombarding them with like shitloads of Excel documents and then go, yeah, just take care of that because we're mi we're migrating this anyway. Like no one, no one's bloody migrated anything. Like voice is still absolutely massive. No one's migrated yeah. anything because because you can't. And th and then this this and I'm sorry, I'm jumping around all over the place here, but it's just you could have invested all you can invest all this in making humans better. And what I believe is if you if you invest in the right technology to make the human to human better the insights that you get from that can be used to for your chatbot or for your chat. You know, you know, you get what I'm saying? Like if you're Absolutely. if you're monitoring what if you're creating like this is this is a big one and I'm going to be talking at, at it with the uh, the contact center expo next week. But scripts, right? I'm not going to ask your opinion about where you are in it. I'm just going to proper mine. But like so Everybody goes, no, we want to empower our agents. We don't want scripts. Right. Okay. But does your chatbot have scripts? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> does you, do you do can do you do canned responses on your chat? Yes, we do. Why? Because we've got the specific things we want to say to get the best outcome. Okay. Right. So you're letting so you're letting your your agents play jazz, right? And just go all over the shop. And yeah, but it's empowering. It's not bloody empowering. I was a performing artist, right? 
I was trained every single day. The worst part of my day, every day, for someone who did it all the time, was improv. I don't, it's tiring. <laughs> Having to improvise on yeah. the spot all of the time and not knowing what's coming and not be, be giving help. It's absolutely knackering. Like, and having to think on my feet all the time. I, I might just want a hand. I might want to know, like, what's the best performance? I might want to, like, before I go and play Hamlet, I might want to look at Daniel Day-Lewis' version of Hamlet and see if that's the best way of doing it. <laughs> but we just, we, we give chatbots and we give chatbots and, and, and chat agents and digital way more support than we do our then we do our um our humans i just find it find it absolutely uh find it absolutely bizarre and so yeah um so i started to i started to kind of turn off this whole digital it was big data at first and then that never worked and then there was this all all this digitization like make you humans to human better make you human to human better and then and then you can automate I'll just say one more thing as well. There's now this big thing where uh, handling times in contact centers are going up. Handling times in contact centers are going up because self-serve is um, every all the self-serve and automation is going on in the digital channel. So all the easy stuff is being migrated to digital. Great. Okay. On all the easy stuff, that would be the perfect thing to upsell and cross-sell on. <laughs> like, so, so a nice, easy change of address. Oh, and can I offer you like a breakdown cover at the same time? Oh, um, so, sorry, I found your, your two-man delivery. Oh, I've, I've noticed that you've bought this dress. Um, I've I found a pair of shoes in your size that go like wonderful with it. Shall I send you a link to it? Like those are the ones where it's easy to upsell. You've left and, and you're not upselling on those ones. You just you just automated yeah. it. And and there's a there's a complete there's a complete erosion of value just because of the wrong reasons and um that that erosion of that erosion of value and not really like just joining the dots together i think he's just is has been like a, a a real frustration and something that i'm trying to like push back against yeah no i absolutely agree with that and i you know i just think i i think back to when i my very first experience in the call center which was way before i actually did it as a, a career but I did outbound credit card sales for like just a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, and this was, you know, it was like a, you know, yeah. flip kind of script. Right. And I had never sold anything. I was a college kid. I'd never sold anything in my life. And you go through the script and then, you know, based on what they say, they've got an objection. And so you yeah. then they flip to this page and it tells you what to say. And, you know, like at the end of two weeks, like I was, actually really good at it like i didn't like the job but i was yeah. really good at it because it gave me the right words like i was not a salesperson i didn't know how to sell and that script just gave me the right words and i got better and better at understanding the concepts so that i could you know personalize it and deliver it in my own way but if I didn't have that script, I would have been absolute rubbish and probably would have fired me after four but, or five days. But this is but that's but that's the thing. And it's like you people people have kind of um conflated empowering empowering agents with um letting them to sort of, sort of this is the thing oh well just do what's right for the customer but that's so ambiguous that it can lead you down like all sorts of different out avenues like there needs to be kind of guardrails and, and what i said is and that, this is a little bit I, I don't want it to be confected but like would you say that robert de niro in um in goodfellas is unempowered <laughs> because Definitely he's speaking not. somebody else's because he's speaking somebody right. else's words would you say that robert de niro in taxi driver is unempowered no like would you say meryl streep in um sophie's choice is unempowered no they're all speaking somebody else's lines but the, mm -hmm. it's the way in which they modulate it the way in which they bring that authenticity into it like you know i spoke to john devlin on on uh, from a, a census today and he was saying like and, and i do get his point around you know scripts can can become inauthentic and i do i do definitely think that but sure. if you had the time to then to then train your agents about what they should be listening for and which paths it's like um bandersnatch you know it's it's um it's one of those books where you've got 
lots of different options and you can move to different things it's um if you if you think of it like that like that type of book that type of story where there's lots of different options and lots of different endings and lots of different outcomes and then the authenticity is listening to actually what the customer is saying they're choosing a, a path to take people down that's not unimpowered that's not that's not disempowering to me like some of the best performances like some of the best performances are scripted like Elvis Presley never wrote a song in his life and right. he performed those songs every single night and everybody loved them over and over and over again until he was absolutely spot on and that's where that's where I think we need to be more perform age contact center age need to be more performers like I'm a performer I have the same things that I talk about and I and I, I make them better sometimes and I, and I turn them down sometimes but it's it's a performance yeah. there needs to be performance the performers and the script is just an, an aid for the performance it's like all the the color and stuff you put around it <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> I'm getting well, really hey, passionate. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Uh, you and I are on the same page. Like I said, this was one of the reasons that I was like, I, I, I got to reach out to this guy. I, I like this guy a lot. <laughs> so we're, we're on the same page. But hey, we're. Uh, I know your time is valuable. We're running right up against it. I, I got to tell you, thank you so much for joining me here on Next and Q, Jimmy. It's been fantastic. And I'll make sure and uh, mark this one explicit language, uh, which will probably mean that three times as many people are going to listen to it. <laughs> I should have worked for the music book. industry. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks so much I, I for having me. I need a parental me. advisory sticker that I can just put on the podcast art and see what happens. I think we've got one from, from, my, from me being on podcast anyway. <laughs> so just a, a copy and <laughs> No, thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Jimmy.